the vulva garden. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you can explain so, that one. This is your pick. This, this is why I like. This is why I like Sarah because Sarah seems super unassuming, and she's a teacher. She's got her little glasses. She's and the stuff she's recommending is like a vulva, like somebody that has hedges shaped like vulvas. So that's why I really enjoy Sarah. But you can explain that to the listeners. Meet Sarah and Samantha, two cousins obsessed with exploring the vast pop culture landscape, one recommendation at a time. In each episode, one clueless cousin shares real-time reactions as they navigate the twists and turns of a pop culture topic selected by the other. From travel to movies, Little Debbie's to trashy novels. Get ready to eavesdrop on the candid reactions and dynamic conversations you can only have with family. This is Foreign and Familiar. Hey everyone, welcome to Foreign and Familiar. My name is Sarah. I am Samantha. And today we are talking about one of my favorite shows. I'm so excited to get into it. But before we do that, we always like to start off with something a little sweet while we are podcasting. So Sam, we're going to be talking about the Little Debbie cream pie lineup, specifically the raisin cream pie, the snickerdoodle, and the oatmeal cream pie. So, so many cream pies, yes. so little time. If you had to rank those three from worst to best, how would you rank them? Well, so I would say that I think, you know, just for our listeners to understand the cream pies, which I think I was really surprised as we've been doing research and seeing this stuff come around. There's a, a much wider lineup than you would realize. Um, mm -hmm. But it's two types of cookies or something like that with cream in the center, not to be confused with a whoopie pie from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I I'd say they're right. cookie sandwiches. Yes. The oatmeal cream pie to me is the classic. It's the top one. That's in everybody's lunches, right? Mm -hmm. That's, I, it's gotta be one of the main movers and shakers for mm -hmm. little Debbie. And I know Sarah, did you recently have a double decker oatmeal cream pie for the first time? I did. And it was an out of body experience. I would completely agree with you. Like I would say, I think that the double decker oatmeal cream pies are better than the double decker fudge rounds. And that's saying something. Yes. I mean, both excellent, but I am a huge oatmeal cream pie fan, so I think we're aligned amazing. that that's the best. I think that's the only time I've ever really liked an oatmeal cookie, to tell you the truth. Um, right. Yeah, I, I would say that. So then I think, you know, Sarah and I are trying to scour all the uh, – the corners of the country to find the regional <laughs> varieties of little right. Debbie. We're mailing them back and forth to each other. Uh, the people in my building said, I think this box was returned. And I said, no, it was returned with other things. It wasn't a return to sender. We're using right. the same box it's and just, just putting the label. It. Yes. So when I was down in North Carolina earlier this year, I found some different cream pie varieties. I saw that there's peanut butter, all of that. But the ones that we had were the uh, snickerdoodle cream pies, which is like a cinnamon cookie. And then the raisin cream pie, which is like a vanilla cookie with raisins on top. Um, I would say I thought that the snickerdoodle cream pie was good. Mm -hmm. It was definitely cinnamon, cinnamon, and I there were little right. chunks of of cinnamon 
in it or did did you get that in yours yeah it kind of reminded me of like the the panera like cinnamon crunch bagel how like the the top of it is like all the the crunchy stuff but the inside is like little little like bursts of cinnamon like scattered throughout like that's kind of how the cookie was I liked that though. I normally would not pick a snickerdoodle cookie. So it was a nice Same. surprise. It was, I like that yeah. one. So I'd put that number two. And then are we going to talk, how are we going to talk about this raising cream pie and not threaten our potential sponsorship? <laughs> I mean, with as much as we love Little Debbie, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that there was one that didn't work for us, which the raisin cream pie, I think I texted you and said I was underwhelmed by the flavor. And again, Sarah, you are the nice one. And uh, yeah, there has to be an audience for it, a regional audience for it. I would imagine that the audience for the raisin cream pie is maybe 17 times older than their standard uh, demographic for their (laughs) snack case. Like, um, it didn't work for me in any sense of the word. The raisins on the top were unappealing and looked like uh, bugs. I would say, I, I wouldn't say they looked like raisins. I will say I did think that the cream was a little bit more of like a buttercream than a white cream. And I do think that that was a saving grace and factor of a raisin cream pie. It wasn't an overtly raisin flavor. Um, Right. But that would be one that I do not think I would uh, recommend. Right. I would, I don't think I would eat it again. Like if it were the last thing in the teacher's lounge, I think I would be like, I'm good. That being said, there are some additional cream pies. And honestly, like I'm on the website right now, the raisin cream pies look great in the, in the photo. Um, For this um, slate of cream pies, I would go oatmeal, snickerdoodle and raisin cream to satisfy my sweet tooth. I agree completely. That's the same order I would rank them in. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. So this week I was the familiar one and Sam, you are the foreigner. So yeah. So let's tee it up, Sarah. What are we discussing today? So today we are talking about the TV show, What We Do in the Shadows. Okay. So what we do in the shadows, why did you recommend it? And what did you think I would like about it specifically. So um, we are both big fans of The Office. um, And you had said something recently that you were really loving Nate as a character in The Office. Um, He is the he is the highlight there. There are very few highlights in the last few seasons of The Office. I'm sorry. Uh, And Nate, though, is one of them. Absolutely. Amazing. He's one of my favorites too. Um, So anyway, in that conversation, I mentioned that he, the actor that plays him, Mark, I think it's Prosh. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm totally butchering that name. But anyway, he is one of the main characters in What We Do in the Shadows, and the character that he plays is essentially the same. Um, So I recommended it to Sam based on that. There are other similarities to The Office that I thought that she might enjoy. As well. So let's get into cultural notes. 
right. Sarah, what do people that are not familiar with what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. need to know? So what we do in the shadows is a mockumentary style TV show uh, about four vampires living in Staten Island, New York. Three of the vampires, Nandor, Laszlo, and Nadja, are traditional vampires. And the fourth one, Colin Robinson, is an energy vampire who feeds on people by boring them to death, essentially. Yes. Um, And that is played by Mark Proche, Nate from The Office, in what is probably the casting of the millennia, to be quite frank. I I will say that. So, uh, you know, top overview for people to get into it. Let's set up a little bit from a canon perspective. Let's talk vampires and let's talk show directors. But I'll I'll, I'll let you kind of take the lead there. All right, vampires. So, Sam, would you say that you like, do you feel like you typically go for like vampire style like media or is it just kind of like you stumble upon it or is it something you seek out so hard i'm very familiar and or comfortable with vampires right i would say i mean interview with a vampire which i know plays into this as well which likely probably came out before you were born i was really young i mean i I wasn't watching that when i was young or anything but right i I was familiar with that obviously twilight obviously twilight um of course renfield just came out i watched that so yeah so i would say if it's vampires i usually yeah i'll watch it i'll watch it yeah i don't i wouldn't say that i like actively seek out something about vampires but i have like no no issues with it at all uh i also watch twilight i am currently watching the vampire diaries i don't know why i'm subjecting myself to that but and I'm telling you right now, that is not one that we wound up doing on this pod. <laughs> that is not one that I think that I have a, in me. A friendship ending. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I did used right, to watch that right. show. One thing that I was really interested as I was doing some research and watching it is that it's produced by Taika Watiti and Jemaine Clements. Yes. So they had the original film, What We Do in the Shadows which served as the inspiration for the show. I love Jemaine Clement, right? Oh, I yeah, was so excited. He makes all of the bitches in the area pregnant, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's just like, I mean, that's, I wish it's a nod to Flight of the Concords, which, Sarah, if, if we have it, that has to be a future episode. Flight of the Concords on HBO, you know, came out 10 years ago. It's him and his uh, partner, Britt, Brett, Britt McKenzie, mm-hmm. um, as these struggling artists and musicians. And it's hilarious. So when I saw that Jemaine Clement was attached, I just thought, Sarah and I have so much synergy and it's so great because she doesn't even know I love <laughs> Jemaine and she likes Jemaine. And then, of course, to kind of see, you know, Taika Waititi's involvement and like, obviously, mm-hmm. he's been doing the Marvel movies and all that. He's right. one of the hottest directors. Let's cut it to break. And when we come back, we'll start digging into the show. The world of what we do in the shadows. Yeah. It's, it's a wild <laughs> one. So stick with us.
Welcome back to Foreign and Familiar. We are talking what we do in the shadows, the mockumentary comedy series that is on FX and Hulu. And this is Sarah's pick. So Sarah, why don't you give us a rundown? I know we did a little bit of like a 30,000 foot overview, but what do people right. need to know about the plot? episode we're just talking about season one there are currently five seasons that have been released i think the last season aired in like august or september or somewhere around there um so in season one we're introduced to these four vampires that live in staten island and their familiar guillermo um so guillermo is basically their servant he does everything that they ask him to cleans up their dead bodies goes to the dry cleaners in, in the, the hopes sense of becoming of a vampire. Opens their knocks on the casket and wakes them up in the morning. He is right, right. All in the hopes of him becoming a vampire him himself. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So in season one, we're introduced to the vampires who are all ancient, several hundred years old. They still kind of act like they came from that time period. So they're basically clueless. Um Guillermo is trying to help them blend in as much as possible. They are visited by um, the Baron, who is this super ancient, well-respected vampire that thinks they should have conquered the New World. And um, whenever he slumbers, they are left to try to figure out how to break it to him that they've conquered their house and the next house over, or like their house and their street. And uh, also to try to figure out if they are able to conquer more of New York. So, Sam, let's start with characters. Because we don't, we don't have very many. We have Nandor, Laszlo, Nadia, Colin Robinson are the four vampires. We have Guillermo. Um, and then there are a couple characters that pop in and out. So, thoughts, uh, who would you say was your favorite character in season one? Well, I think Colin Robinson is definitely the best one again but i am i like nate from the office and that's who mm -hmm. he is so i love the attention of uh you know there there being your three traditional vampires mm -hmm. that stick into kind of a mix of the lore right right can't be in the sunlight can't you know allergic to crosses so on and so forth um right but the idea of an energy vampire and just the cutscenes of him boring people to tears, like yes. <laughs> really feeding on them. He goes to the DMV to really zap everybody's energy um, is pretty intense, right? So, so I think mm -hmm. that, you know, he's, it's creative. They're day walkers. They zap energy. They feast in the mm -hmm. morning. He was he was my favorite one. Uh, they don't use him too much in season one, though. And so no. I'm hopeful that in subsequent seasons, he will take a step up. Yeah, and I they make it pretty clear that the other vampires don't really enjoy being around him because energy vampires are the only vampires that can drain other vampires. Um, so they, I think they're always afraid that he's going to drain them just and, by being around each other. Yeah, they're falling asleep around him and they know and right. he can't help it. He he's, he's like I'm sorry, I'm like feasting on your energy. But no, I really right. like that. I thought he was the best. Yeah. I definitely agree. I I also really love Laszlo. Um 
I think he's hilarious, and the way that he pronounces things just cracks me up. So I think Laszlo was probably... Uh, they're all kind of equal. I like that when, mm-hmm. so they turn into bats. So, so I will say this, mm-hmm. this is a very, um, it's, it feels like not a lot kind of happens, but then all of a sudden they decide that they're going to eat someone or kill someone or do something. And then right. there's just like blood falling from the sky and all that. So like, <laughs> there's a ton of juxtaposition. What I like about Laszlo, who spends a majority, I would say of the time, uh, in bat form is he says bat before he turns into a bat all the time. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I don't know. I did like the thing where he was this uh, vampire porn star and he's vampire really tricked in steam room. Yeah. And he's very <laughs> proud of his work, but right. Everybody else just thinks it's like really uninteresting porn. Like Nadia, right. <laughs> Nadia his wife's like, I just don't even want to, I just don't even, I don't want to watch. It does nothing for me. It's terrible. Right, and like right. his shock and awe. So I think Laszlo kind of lives in a, in a different, in a different world. I just yeah. really like Matt Berry, the actor that plays him as well. He was in uh, a British comedy, the IT crowd. Um, and he played this like really incompetent, CEO of this company that was hilarious. He was in a show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is a uh, a show like a horror show that's purposefully filmed badly. Um, and so, like, I love both of those. So I was really excited to see him in this oh, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he also has the um the Volva Garden. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you can explain so, that one. This is your pick. This- this is why I like this is why I like Sarah cuz Sarah seems super unassuming and she's a teacher. She's got her little glasses. She's and the stuff she's recommending is like a vulva like somebody that has hedges shaped like vulvas. So that's why I really enjoy Sarah, but you can explain that to the listener. Like I said, he's just kind of the the horny character of the season. He has this topiary garden that is all yeah, women. <laughs> he is just, yeah, I mean, he has the porn. He has, he at one point just says casually that he was Jack the Ripper. So I feel like Laszlo has this like super long history of just being very horny. <laughs> he has, yeah, and he has a lot of throwaway lines. So I think yeah. you pay attention to him for sure. For sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. Your favorite was Colin Robinson. My favorite was Laszlo. Um, what about the other two vampires? So we still have Nandor and we have Nadja. I think Nandor is pretty funny. Uh, mm-hmm. I I would love to bring up the clip. Maybe I can find it where he talks about why he came to America. And it's because he loved the 1992 dream team and Patrick Ewing in particular. And so he wants to uh, become an American citizen because of uh, the 1992 dream team. I think Nandor is hilarious. Um, I think the first like chuckle I gave when I was watching this the first time was when Nandor is shopping for crepe paper and he calls it creepy paper. Um, so I think he, I, I do think he has some great lines. Oh my gosh, he's a terrible telepath. He thinks he's a telepath and he's not. Which, he's not at all. So he'll say, you know, I'm, I'm changing your thoughts. 
the interviewers or whoever's talking to you said, why did you just say that and wave your hand in front of my face? So, you know, he's enthusiastic. He's enthusiastic. As you said, Nadia and Laszlo are kind of grouped together because they are married. Nadia turned Laszlo into a vampire. So thoughts on her Uh, she is i think she's okay they start to use her a little bit more in the back half of the season and i'm sure it kind of grows around um but yeah so that that, i I don't really have much to say about her other than i kind of put her and laszlo together right i think for me her funniest lines are when she's describing growing up in her village because it's like it's so ridiculous Super ridiculous things about her her village in uh, Antipaxos growing up. So she so she's there, but I think um I think they start to find her character a little bit more towards the towards the middle and or end of the season. Yeah, and Gregor is probably my favorite like side character. Um, so Gregor is her lover that she has found in every reincarnation of himself sometimes he's a washerwoman sometimes he's a horse sometimes he's a fishmonger they always find each other and i think the important thing to remember about gregor and jeff is that in every single life he is beheaded in true some way shape form or fashion and i do like the callousness it's kind of like a pregnant it's not her it's not her but like that's just always no matter what life he's in that's it and she's just says oh you know watches him get beheaded life after life after life and says okay i'll see you next time like like you'll be come back around and i'll enjoy you until you get beheaded again right i'm sorry to be here i'm gonna find you (laughs) she's the one that i think and this is terrifying to to say is probably the most grounded in reality. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I would I would say so. I besides Guillermo. So speaking of Guillermo, the only non vampire in that main cast that lives in the house in Staten Island. Well oh, I love him. I said a little bit earlier he is uh the familiar for Nandor and he just plays the role so well. He wants to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. He tries so hard. He has a little bit of a conscience, right? Like he is the yeah. person that is going out and trying to find people to feed the other ones with. Right. He's keeping track of their date books. He's throwing their parties. He's running their errands during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the best line in the entire first season that he just delivers with absolute perfection i'm very happy that my master is going to help me find a virgin as it is slim pickings out here in these streets <laughs> the christian college chastity club seemed promising until i found out that most of them had a different definition of virgin than the common one believe it or not crossfit gyms are full of virgins no one's touched them and the reason being is because they won't shut up about crossfit I forgot that I love it. have a different definition of virgin. Well, I think he is probably the most complex character in the show, at least in season one, um, because, you know, he's trying to be a familiar, trying to do some very questionable work at times. He's trying to take care of his family, which is ironic because he, like, pays to live in a closet under the steps Harry Potter style and doesn't get paid for the work that he does. And he's also trying to become a vampire, too. So, and, like, how long does he hold out, you know? So, 
I like him a lot. Yeah, I think he's he's a good one. So having gone through all four of the vampire characters, Colin, Nandor, Laszlo, Nadia, and Guillermo the Familiar, which I think is the majority of the cast for season one. Right. Uh, maybe we throw it to break. And when we come back, we can talk about maybe some of the big parts of season one, kind of talk through some of the surprises. This is our listeners. Spoiler alert. If you have not seen season one of What We Do in the Shadows, and if you care about being spoiled, you can pause it. So... All right, we are back from break. We are talking today about what we do in The Shadows Season 1. So let's just kind of quickly recap major plot points from the first season. As I think we've mentioned a little bit, the first four episodes are just a lot of world-building, character introduction. There's really not a ton that happens in them. Um, The Baron comes to visit. He's this ancient vampire who thinks they should conquer the New World. Um, And like as soon as he gets there, he goes into this long slumber for like five episodes. So it, it, things really start to pick up on the Baron's night out when he wakes up. So Sam, I know this is kind of when you started to enjoy it. So do you want to talk about kind of the, what got you interested during that? Yeah. Part? So I would say again, just spoiler alert for our listeners that we have coming in. We're going to be talking about key plot points from here on out in season one of what we do in the shadows. I thought Baron's night out was just really funny, right? I think to your point, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, the first four episodes, you're just getting to know the characters a little bit, see how they work, understand, you know, what types of vampires they are. Baron's night out is they decide that they're all going to go to a nightclub. The Baron gets, you know, drunk and they're eating on people, right? And so they end up feasting mm-hmm. on people that are on MDMA or ecstasy. And it's just right. wild shenanigans. Crazy, <laughs> But, um, Right. Where it ends is that uh, Guillermo, the familiar, and Andor's familiar, is walking through the door, not paying attention because they should have already been in their caskets because it is daylight and he was out running errands. And the sunlight hits the Baron and poof, the Baron goes and disappears and dies, right? And so to me, Mm -hmm. it was the first episode in the season where I thought, oh, oh my gosh, like, what is going to happen? I need to get into the next episode and see because it feels like such a big thing. So I think from there, it kind of it kind of sets everything in motion for the remainder of the back half of the season. And vampires killing vampires is a crime. So they are taken to the vampire council for judgment on their crime. And the vampire council was, I think, a highlight of this season for me, Sarah, like I have to say, um, it's probably worth breaking down to our listeners, like who composes the vampire council. And yeah. Right. We have, uh, the original, like what we do in the shadows cast from the movie. So we have Taika Waititi. We have Jameen Clement. We have, uh, there's a couple other people too. But those are kind of the the main ones. There, no, you're burying um, the lead on that. I am sorry. Tilda Swinton is well, yes, is the lead, <laughs> and she plays Tilda, and she is Tilda Swinton. 
There's also Danny Trejo, who is a vampire on the Vampire Council. Right. Uh, Paul Rubens, rest in peace. Pee Wee Herman, who comes up. Yes. But the one that we are absolutely missing, which is is Wesley Snipe. Um, <laughs> Wesley Snipes. Video chat. He's on video chat. <laughs> so he plays, he's a half vampire. And obviously it's a nod to his role of playing Blade. Um, which right. that's another vampire property that we didn't talk about. Blade, like I've seen Blade, but um, yeah. And then he's always zooming in, and his uh, zoom is his internet is spotty. It's oh, and Evan Rachel Wood. Yes, Evan Rachel Ev- Wood, and and they all play themselves, with the exception of like the What We Do in the Shadows cast who play those characters. Everyone else is playing themselves. So like Danny Trejo's Danny Trejo, Evan Rachel Wood is Evan Rachel Wood. It, it, it's so it was funny. one of those moments where I feel like stunt casting's really done well. So, and it's just that it just makes you feel like everybody's in on the in on the joke is making time in their right. schedule to do it. Uh, and so yes. the vampire cancel, and then Colin Robinson is on it as well as a stand-in. So he's not yeah on trial uh, like the other three are. He's actually part of the council trying to figure out what their punishment yeah. is. And I think right. what's funny is the characters kind of go back and forth on if we kind of deal with him to save us, like we have to spend time with him. And then, yeah. you know, we just set up and kind of have a couple more episodes. So that's basically season one without digging in too deeply to the plot of this, of the show. Um, so to kind of wrap up today, let's talk about the the reception of the season one, reception of season one, reception of the show overall. Um, so the show has been uh, nominated for 21 Emmys and it won one. So definitely highly claimed lots of recognition there. Very, very highly liked show. So uh, Sam, give a quick like, 30 second review. What are your big takeaways from watching season one of this show? I will say that, you know, we have talked pretty positively about what we do in the shadows. I do think it is important to say that for me, it's really episode five and beyond Mm -hmm. that the show is interesting and funny and kind of grasps my attention. If I can be honest with you, the first four episodes Really, I found to be very slime, very uh, slow and very dry or sly, mm-hmm. as I just said. <laughs> um, and also being familiar with Jemaine Clement and knowing mm-hmm. that his projects tend to have a very dry sense of humor and knowing that some episodes have to get some of his his work. You have to have patience in getting into. I felt like there was a very very long wind up for this one. Mm-hmm. There there were times where I thought, how are we going to do a, a podcast episode <laughs> on this show? I'm right. not laughing. It seems weird. I it's it's very dry. That being said, I think it really does kick in on episode five. And mm-hmm. while I haven't necessarily watched past the season, I do find myself thinking that's something that I need to pick up because it did start pulling all the elements together. Mm-hmm. You have the cameos of the the vampiric council. You have some of those other things. Um, so I did think that, that that was funny. So that would be my review is like a very slow burn. And then 
It's a very odd humor that really tickles a fancy. I would say it's a very right. particular itch to scratch. Yes. And I think that that's probably why it's getting... I don't really know that there's anything else like it. Is um, What's the pirate one? Our, uh, our, our flag means death. So is that a similar style? In some ways, I don't believe that. I've only watched season one. I don't believe that's a mockumentary style. Um, but I think it does have kind of the same level of like dry humor to okay. it. So yeah, so I'd yeah. say probably outside of that one, which is one I have not seen either, there's right. nothing like it. So I do understand. And honestly, I've asked a couple of friends in preparation for this episode, do you watch it? Do you mm-hmm. watch it? And all my friends that do watch it are like you. In that they think it's the funniest thing in the whole world. They have all of the specific lines. I think it's on. So again, it's it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. Right, right. Mm. So you are you thinking you would continue watching? I think I will get around to finishing it, but it mm-hmm. is not very high on my list to continue but that doesn't gotcha. mean i probably won't yeah right right mm-hmm. and and would you recommend it to somebody else i think it's really hard i don't know that i could because i think those first four are so challenging and i mm-hmm. understand why anybody that would be watching this would bail after one episode d- bail after two Definitely bail after three, four. So I don't know that I could recommend it. I think what I would have to say is exactly that. You have to invest in the first four episodes to force first four or five episodes to get in mm-hmm. there. But I don't know if I could recommend it because it is so dry. But I then haven't seen the rest of it, you know, so, so it's right, kind of hard right. to say. So I think That's, I'm on the fence on that. Yeah, I was just going to say I'd be interested to hear if you finish the show overall. Would you recommend it to somebody else? Because I I do feel like it picks up a lot. Yeah, and I do see where it's going. And we've had some really good laughs talking about some of the running gags that are here. So I think that this is an acquired taste. That's a great way to put it. This is an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. So compare it to a little Debbie. What snack cake would what we do in the shadows be? So keeping with our cream pie theme from Uh earlier in the episode... I'm going to go season one with the snickerdoodle cream pie of the three we've talked about because there are those little bursts of cinnamon and crunch that that make it really good and really exciting. I want to eat this again. There's good flavor and like just enough sweetness. But the snickerdoodle cream pie is hard to find. It Mm -hmm. is rare to get into. It's a much better than a raisin cream pie, but it does not have the <laughs> everyday versatility of the oatmeal oh, cream pie. Yes. So I would say okay. the snickerdoodle cream pie just so happens to be the one. How about you? What would you rank it to? If I were comparing it to the three we talked about today, it would be an oatmeal cream pie for me because this is like, every, I would say once every like three months I rewatch. Do you have- That's how I feel about that. <laughs> do you have merch? I do. I have a shirt <laughs> just because I love the saying. So it says it has all the vampires names and then it says not you, Guillermo. Oh, so you're part of the exclusionary council of Guillermo. Yes. It, I, I will say, you know, prior to us just closing out, it is something that had 
tickled my brain after like after I watched the first season, I found myself a couple mm-hmm. days later kind of reflecting and laughing and some of the jokes hit and all that. So um, what I love about it, though, and this is what's so great is, like I said, people get your sense of humor, you know, when they're watching this and when this is what right. your recommendation is. And I think that it's funny. I think that you have um, just to pay you a compliment. Like, I think that you have a really versatile and wide ranging sense of humor. And I, again, I appreciate being able to do this podcast and episodes like this, because it's not something that I think I would check out, but I can understand the appeal of it for sure. Right, right. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for eavesdropping on us today as we talk about season one of what we do in the shadows. Um, If you've watched, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at FauxFamPod. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for eavesdropping on us. If you can't get enough of the Cousin Chronicles, head over to Instagram and follow at FauxFamPod for more in-depth info and behind the scenes details. Or email us at foreignfamiliarpod at gmail.com. Foreign and Familiar is a Flynn and Flynn production. The theme is Colorful by Allerly Von Nikolai.